Hi everyone. You all would have surely heard from people or would have read over the net that there is always an opportunity available during the bad times like the current one. When we hear the word opportunity, I'm sure many people would have find investing in stocks which are currently available at discount as an opportunity. However, before investing, it is advisable to do some due diligence of the stock. So we decided that today's topic should be forensic investing. So today we have a very special guest with us. He's Amai Kulkarni, founder at Candor Investing. Hi Amai, thanks for joining us. Hi Hanson, thanks for inviting me over. Yeah. Uh, so Amai, uh, before deep diving into the importance of forensics, uh, can yes. you please let us know what was your background and what triggered you from quitting your job at good companies like LNT yes. and Jindal to starting yes. up your own venture? Yes. So Harshal, I am an engineer and MBA. So I have done my MBA from India Gurgaon. And I have been uh, interested in investing right since 2006. So I read The Intelligent Investor in 2007 before joining uh, MDI. And I was quite fortunate enough to have been taught investing uh, by Professor Sanjay Bakshi very early on. So that started my investing journey. Uh, after MDI, I worked with uh, corporates for almost uh, nine years. And I have been in multiple roles, uh, typical MBA jobs like corporate planning, uh, business planning, business development, uh, sales, and such stuff. And finally, after the build of 2014, uh, I made some money and I was helping out a few friends on an informal basis. And at that point of time, uh, one of my friends uh, told me, why don't you make this as a full-time career? So then th that was the seed uh, which was planted in 2015. And since February 2017, I started candle investing and uh, started managing external money. Okay. So, but when you started your first, I think it's a long time, like 2006. So it's almost yes. like 14 years. That's good. Yes. Yeah. So let's start with a very basic question. How do you connect the concept of forensics with investing? Okay. So uh, what happens, uh, Harshan, is that uh, what is forensic accounting? What we are trying to do is basically try to check the past of the company and see uh, what is the quality of the company and what is the character of the company. So when we delve into the past, uh, we get to know the character of the company. Investing is always futuristic, which means what the company does after we have bought the stock will determine what return we get. But the past is an indication of the future. For example, uh, what is the nature of the business? Does it have a competitive advantage or a pricing power? Is very easily known by checking out the finances of the company in times of recession, like 2009 or even 2014 and 15. So if you observe, a lot of the chemical companies, so chemical sector is one of the most uh, you know, um, trendy sector right now. But if you see, a lot of these chemical companies are actually loss making during 2014, uh, 13 and 14, when the paper tantrum and you know the uh, uh, economy was in troubles during those times. So, but there were always certain companies which were doing very well in the chemical sector, like the company like Vinci Organics. So those companies were able to maintain their uh, uh, profit margin and they were also able to maintain their revenue. 
Okay. Right. So this so delving into the past tells you what the character of the company is and what you can expect in the future as well. Oh, that's really a nice insight. Maybe um, people would have known that forensics is basically a post-mortem of things like investigation. But I think this correlation is really nice that how you connect the both and it helps in investing. Yes, exactly. Okay. But do you think that in India normally people have a mentality of following others? So let's say like uh, people would follow Rakesh Junjunwala or Korinju Valley. Like uh, normally what people say that ke usne Rakesh Junjunwala ki company ne wo share liya hai. So we should also take it. So do you think there is there has to be a shift in the mindset and people should start doing forensic accounting and you think that it should be a part of investing? Yes. So first of all, what I would like to say is that even the best of the investors are wrong at least 30 to 30% of the time. So even if the world's best investor invests in a certain company, uh, definitely it gives you a lead uh, and a name to research, uh, but it doesn't automatically mean that venture invest. Secondly, that person might be investing 1 or 2% of his network. Are you going to invest 10%, 20%, and 30% of your investable surplus in that company just because XYZ investor has invested? So that is what one has to decide. Secondly, the ability to hold on to a stock in bad times and then especially the price reduces comes through conviction. And conviction only comes when you have first-hand knowledge and not borrowed knowledge. So you may read an excellent blog somewhere about a company and get convinced to buy it, but only when you do your own research is when you will be able to hold it through bad times. So why should forensics uh, be a part of the investor's checklist? First of all, it's not necessary to do forensic accounting for everybody. It basically applies to only the fundamental investor and that to a one who wishes to compound his wealth by holding on to good companies for a long period of time. For example, you want to buy into a company and allocate say 20, 20 or 30 percent of your portfolio to your highest conviction idea. In that case, doing a forensic analysis on the company becomes paramount. If you are somebody uh, who is a day trader or uh, uh, buys on short term use, goals for six months, one year, I don't think it's too necessary to be uh, to do forensic accounting. At the same time, if you believe in holding 30, 40, 50 companies uh, in your portfolio and allocating small portions, uh, in that case also you can do some basic analysis of the company and you need not uh, delve into too much of the past. Oh, so practically it is not advisable for those who really do trading and uh, a short term kind of tenure? No, it's not advisable because in the short term, the prices are determined by a lot of other factors uh, like the demand supply, short-term good news, bad news, uh, and you know other factors. It's only then. So the, the there is a thing in the stock market, right? The, the stock market is a voting machine in the short run and the voting machine in the long run. Ah. If you are going to hold that company in the long run, you need to know where the weight is. And to know that, you need to go. Uh, you need to do forensic accounting. Yes, valid point. So maybe I think there has to be a shift in the mindset. Maybe people always have been thinking that uh, they should buy and hold. Like in uh, finance, uh, they call it coffee can investing. 
but then i think in the times of frauds there has to be a change in the mindset and it should now be changed to buy and check strategy at regular intervals maybe yes so it has always been buy and check right uh, some many times people skip the check part so buy check and hold that has always been the mantra um, so checking your company every quarter every 6 months uh, uh, is a must at the same time Uh, this is not a game where we are seeking protection. It's human beings who are running these companies. So once we have bought these companies, we have to be a little, little, little lenient about uh, uh, you know certain stuff about the company. There are times, you know, sometimes there are uh, bad times. जैसे अपने ज़िंदगी में अच्छे दिन बुरे दिन आते हैं. जैसे company के times में भी there good times come, bad times come. We have to recognize that. and adjust one strategy secondly uh, it's not about you know these times of frauds or or current times are bad times so let me elaborate a little there are always good people and not so good people there are always business models which are more conducive to clean businesses and there are business models which are more conducive to not so clean businesses to give a uh, you know day to day example hmm. uh, if somebody works in a it industry and somebody works in a manufacturing industry for example just ask the language that your boss speaks to your friend so in it industry uh, nobody uh, everybody will be using such polished language and very humble language if you go to a manufacturing industry left right and center everybody will be giving uh, bad words especially your boss will be giving bad words so you are you are You know, uh, habitual to listening to tens of bad words every day, and you're literally scared of your boss. In the IT industry, that's not the case. Agreed. So, it, My, so in the same yeah. way, so certain businesses are inherently more profitable. Certain businesses are tend to you know um, favor the competent and good management or honest management. At the same time, we have to also recognize one thing. Uh, all these frauds always exist it's not that they don't exist what happens is when the credit markets freeze you know and there are tight liquidity conditions and banks don't want to lend uh, like after the ilfs crisis in september 2018 then banks were afraid to lend that is the time when all these frauds become public and that is why we see for the last two years Lot of frauds have come out in the open. Though the fees and the modus operandi was always applicable even five years back, ten years back. Okay. Yeah. Having said that, uh, can you share some of your learnings uh, you would have had during your uh, journey? Also, uh, uh, some uh, you know, I have made a lot of mistakes. and i have lost uh, severely in stocks and that is why uh, i can come here and you know talk about forensic accounting and uh, how to detect uh, financial frauds it's only because i have made a lot of mistakes that i can do that uh, the biggest thing that i would say is that never invest based on stories okay always check whether the story matches with the numbers so look at what the annual report says what the balance sheet says what the profit and loss in the cash flow statement says 
these are the what the management is giving interviews about or what projections they are making so don't expect miracles to happen in the industry or the company just go and check that in the annual report whether what is being forecasted and projected is it really happening over a period of time agree so what you are saying is a ground level check uh, is required you don't even need to do that so a lot of people don't have the time or the resources to go and talk to suppliers or you know uh, channel checks and blah 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 industry insiders and all that you don't need to do that you just need to read the annual report and once you read the annual report 95% of what you need to know is mentioned in the annual report Okay. So, can you share one of your examples, maybe uh, where you read a annual report and maybe it saved you from investing? Uh, so, there's a lot of cases. Uh, I mean, uh, so let me take an example of uh, you know a one of the largest tea companies in India which went bankrupt. Okay, Matlia Rasul, for example. Okay. Right, it was one of the uh, biggest tea companies in India. They owned a lot of uh, tea gardens in Assam, uh, and it was a very big company. Uh, they had a lot of uh, goodwill; it's been in existence for a long time. And then suddenly, in 2019, it went bankrupt. Right. So what uh, what basically happened was there were a lot of related party transactions, which were very evident uh, from just a cursory glance of the annual report. Okay. Hmm. So if you just looked at what loans the parent company has given to connected parties, so companies, other companies of the promoter which the listed entity does not own any share of, so they had even lent to real estate businesses of the promoters, right? They had lent to a lot of foreign subsidiaries, and the worst part was the bankers knew about this and still decided to. You know, extend the loans to the listed entity. So once you saw that the natural person is taking money from banks and lending it to other related parties, one realizes that irrespective of how good or bad the business is, you know, the core businesses of uh, tea making, uh, the entire stock price, you know, the trajectory of the stock price depends on what the other promoter entities are doing or not doing. For example, okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the other examples I can take is it's a very small company. Um, so there was this company. It was listed on the SME platform. Okay. Uh, it's a company called Jia Eco Products. Uh, so they are a Gujarat-based company, and uh, they make this uh, what we call as um, alternative fuel kind of stuff. So what they basically do is they take wood and other uh, bio-based and convert it into uh, blocks which can be used as uh, fuels for furnaces and you know other process industries so it is basically an alternative to coal or gas and it, it is it is much cheaper than the other fuels so this company was growing at like 80% every year okay oh wow 80% every year and uh, it was listed on the equity exchange the stock went up like 10 times in about 18 months right That was the power, you know. This was the time period of 2016-17-18, and this company was talked about quite a bit in investing investing circles. There are two things I will tell you about this company if you read the annual report. First was the operating cash flow was negative, which means 
the company was reporting profits, but it was, it was not actually making any cash. So there so is the no reason cash. that we met. Yeah, so cash is not coming in. Hmm. Uh, so, but there was an explanation that the uh, promoter gave. So what the management said was uh, that they are growing very fast and they have a new product which is like a unique kind of a product, which means a lot of the customers need to test it, check it, and if they like, uh, you know, if, if, once they use this product, they convert from other fuels to the GI Eco products uh, fuel, which means they gave a lot of free samples and also they gave a lot of credit to the customers. So they said that, you know, it's a question of two, three, four years, by then the adoption of the product will happen. Once the switching of the product happens, the customers will pay us and we will have excellent operating cash flow. This was very believable explanation at that point of time. But if you go and check the annual report, what happens, you know, and this had one point. In the profit and loss statement, the company says that I have paid 10 crores of income tax. Okay. And if you actually go and see the cash flow statement, the income tax paid is 30 lakhs. Okay. This so in the reported profit and loss statement, you know, they say 10 crores income tax. Actually, IT department, they have paid only 30. And next year, if you see, this was in 2018. So next year, if you see in 2019, what actually happens is that they say that we have to pay to the income tax department such and such amount of income tax. And we also have to pay a penalty in interest. Because we were supposed to deposit last year. Even after 12 months, we are not deposited. So we are supposed to pay a penalty as well. Here we had a company which is growing at 80% CAGR on revenue and tax basis, and it is not even able to afford paying income taxes. Oh, that's quite strange. Right. Like, despite growing at this high rate, they, and nobody could uh, even find this fact, basically. So, I don't tend to read the annual report very much. Oh, yeah. All, all people get carried away by the story. Maybe I think then people should stop uh, following this here and say policy. True, but there is no, as I mentioned, right, Harshan, there is no alternative to your own uh, research. So always uh, go to the source. Uh, take ideas from everybody, but then cross-check yourself. Always. It's always good to talk to other investors and try and get ideas, but don't risk your own money based on somebody else's ideas. Oh, the way you said it was really fascinating, but I'm sure uh, a lot of hard work would be going in there. So, uh, as a layman, how should one begin in order to find the red flags before investing? Like, is there any particular checklist? So, I will tell you a, 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 a say, a, you know, 10 week course types, okay? So, first is, uh, let me put it very straight. Uh, See, business talks in the language of accounting. So the first step is to learn accounting. So if I, if I start speaking to you in Chinese, will you be able to understand? I don't think, I hope you don't understand Chinese. Obviously, right? no, no, I don't. Yes. <laughs> so then this podcast will go haywire, right? The same thing happens with uh, the companies. They always communicate to the investors and the shareholders in a language called accounting. And if one doesn't know accounting, then one is basically shooting in the dark. So very good source to, you know, and the, the level of accounting or the depth of accounting required is very shallow. Uh, 
country to speak, uh, which means you don't need an accounting degree or an accounting. You don't even need to be, a, a, you know, a BCom or a PA or somebody. Uh, you can be an arts graduate or a, a, a music graduate or even a science graduate or an engineer or a doctor to learn basic accounting so that you are able to uh, read the annual reports. So one great resource is a book called Five Rules of Successful Investing by Pat Dorsey. So this book has two parts, part one and part two. The part one explains basics accounting in very simple language. So this is about 100 pages. Uh, usually within a week or two weeks, one can brush up uh, on the accounting parts. Uh, one advanced uh, uh, book uh, is a book called Financial Shenanigans. Uh, by uh, a gentleman called Howard Schmidt. So one can also always uh, uh, read that as well. Okay. Sure. Thanks uh, for those insights. Uh, I'm sure we have said uh, many uh, about red flags and everything, but what according to you are indicators of a good company one should invest in? Like how we have red flags, I'm sure there would be some good indications as well. So one is if you avoid debt-free companies, Harshan, uh, 80 to 90 percent of the problem disappear. Right? So uh, try and invest in companies which are very low debt or are basically debt-free. So debt is like a concrete canvas, uh, you know, a deadline which uh, you cannot afford to miss. So in that case, lot of jewelry actually happens so as to be able to borrow and borrow and borrow more from the banks. So that is one basic stuff that one can do. Secondly, consistency in uh, in the numbers, which means, uh, of course, good and bad times come for the business, uh, but more or, more or less, the company should have been able to make decent money, uh, you know, or, or a consistent profit margin uh, over a long period of time, say a period of at least 10 years. Uh, the third thing one can look at is the return metrics like return on equity or return on capital employed. So business which is able to maintain at least 12 to 15% of return on equity over a 10-year period uh, will typically tend to do well. Right? Right. Okay. So we, having said all about equities, uh, can you give us uh, or maybe help us that uh, should people stay away from the debt instruments like after the recent Franklin debacle, like, do you think yeah. like people yeah. should go ahead and invest in the debt schemes? Like, people always had a notion that yes. it's a, yes. uh, that uh, a return, a certain amount of return is always guaranteed in a debt scheme. What about what are yes. views on it? So, first of all, see, when you, if you want to take a risk, take it on the equity part of your portfolio, okay? And don't take any risk on your the debt part of your portfolio. So for a return of one or two percent extra, uh, people have invested in you know credit risk funds and a lot of other shady debt funds, which have taken risks which are uh, you know completely unnecessary, like buying zero coupon bonds of yet back, and I don't know you know the bonds of BHSL and so many other companies. Why do you want to you know, be happy with that four percent, five percent in SBI, FD? rather than trying to earn a 6, 7, 8% in a debt fund. If you really want that extra uh, returns, uh, please invest in stocks or in your equity mutual funds. At least in that part, you know what kind of risk you are taking. 
in that sense what happened was people were unaware of the risk that the fund manager was taking so can the debt funds are very good till they work in times like these what has happened you know where the credit markets are completely frozen that's when uh, the debt funds completely break down right Mm. Typically, if you have ten stocks in your portfolio, even if two go bankrupt, you still have eight stocks which you know whose stock price will not go to zero. Like all ten companies probably more probably won't go to zero. So in equities, uh, if you are decently diversified, uh, you don't your portfolio doesn't go down that so much. And plus, when the markets come back, you know when the good times again come back for the economy and the markets, the portfolios bounce. If you take credit risk. In your debt portion, and there is a very high likelihood that you know, hundred percent of your capital will be wiped out. Agreed. So just stick to banks, stick to simple stuff, and you know, always adhere to the first principle in finance: simpler the better. Don't go for complicated stuff. Complicated stuff is only made up because people want to, you know, people want to sound smart. And they want to impress you by their smartness. Okay. Thanks, Amay. Thanks a lot for joining us and sharing your insight. Sure, I'll share. Thank you. 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 Thank